Chapter Twenty One of the Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A man faces death. Taylor's last shot, when he had been automatically pressing the trigger, after Carrington had struck him viciously with his fist, had brought down the last of the three men who had ambushed him, and one of his last bullets had struck Carrington who had recovered consciousness and staggered out of the house in time to see the end of the fight. And the big man, in a black, malignant fury of hatred, was staggering towards Taylor, lifting a foot to kick him, when from the direction of the clearing in front of the house came a voice, hoarse and vibrant, with a cold, deadly rage. One kick, and I'll blow the top of your head off. Carrington stopped short and wheeled to face Ben Malarkey. The Irishman's eyes were blazing with wrath, and as he came forward, peering at the figures lying on the ground near the house, Carrington retreated, holding up his hands. Three of you piling on one, huh?' said Malarkey, as he looked down at Taylor, huddled against the side of the house. "'And you got him, too, didn't you? I've a damn big notion to blow the top of your head off anyway.' Ye slope, you big limb of the devil, or I'll do it. Malarkey watched while Carrington mounted his horse and rolled up the river trail towards Dawes, and the instant Carrington was out of sight, Malarkey was down on his knees beside Taylor, taking a lightning inventory of his wounds. Four of them, looks like, he muttered thickly, his voice shaking with pity for the slack, limp, smoke-blackened figure that lay silent the trace of a smile on its face. And two of them through the shoulder, he paused, awed. Lordy, what a shindy! Then swiftly gulping down his sympathy and his rage, Malarkey ran to his horse, which he had left at the edge of the wood when he had heard the shooting. He led the animal back to where Taylor lay, tenderly lifted Taylor in his arms, and walked to the horse, and after much labor, got Taylor up in front of him on the horse, Taylor's weight resting on his legs, the man's head and shoulders resting against him to ease the jars of the journey. Then he started, traveling as swiftly as possible down the big slope toward his own house, not so very far away. Spotted Tail, jealously watching his master, saw him lifted to the back of the other horse, shrewdly suspecting that all was not going well, and that his master would need him presently, Spotted Tail trotted after Malarkey. In this manner, with Spotted Tail a few paces in the rear, Malarkey, still tenderly carrying his burden, reached his cabin. He stilled Mrs. Malarkey's hysterical questions with a short command. Hitch up the buckboard while I'm getting him in shape. And then... While Mrs. Malarkey did as she was bidden, Malarkey carried Taylor inside the cabin, bathed his wounds, staunching the flow of blood as best he could, and came out again, carrying Taylor, and placed him in the bed of a light spring wagon, upon some quilts, and upon a pillow that Mrs. Malarkey ran into the house to get, emerging with the reproach, "'You'd be letting him ride on them hard boards.' Following Malarkey's instructions, Mrs. Malarkey climbed to the driver's seat 
and sent the buckboard driving as fast as she thought she dared. And Ben Malarkey on Spotted Tail turned his face toward Dawes, riding as he had never ridden before. Parsons had reached the Arrow shortly after Taylor had departed for Dawes. The man had stopped at the Malarkey cabin to inquire the way from the lady, and she had frankly commented upon Parsons' battered appearance. "'So it was Carrington that mauled you, huh?' she said. "'Well, he's a mighty evil man, and the devil take his soul.' Parsons concurred in this view of Carrington, though he did not tell Mrs. Malarkey so. He went on his way, refusing the good woman's proffer of a horse, for he wanted to go afoot to the arrow. He felt sure of Marion's sympathy, but he wanted to make himself as pitiable an object as possible. And as he walked towards the arrow, he mentally dramatized the moment of his appearance at the ranch house, a bruised and battered figure dragging himself wearily forward, dusty, thirst-tortured, and despairing. He knew the spectacle would win the girl's swift sympathy. The fact that the girl herself had been through almost the same experience did not affect him at all. He did not even think of it. And when Parsons reached the Arrow, the scene was even as he had dreamed it. Marion Harlan had seen him from afar and came running to him, placing an arm about him, helping him forward whispering the words of sympathy in his ears, so that Parsons really began to look upon himself as a badly abused martyr. Marion cared for him tenderly once she got him into the ranch house. She bathed his bruised face, prepared breakfast for him, and later, learning from him that he had not slept during the night, she sent him off to bed, asking him as he went into the room if he had seen Ben Malarkey. For, she added, he came here early this morning, after Mr. Taylor left, and I sent him to the big house to get some things for me. But Parsons had not seen Malarkey. And at last, when the morning was nearly gone, and Marion saw a horse-drawn vehicle approaching the arrow from the direction of Dawes, she ran out, thinking Ben Malarkey had brought her things in his buckboard. But it was not Ben who was coming, but Mrs. Malarkey. The lady's face was very white and serious, and when the girl came close and she saw the look on the good woman's face, she halted in her tracks and stood rigid, her own face paling. Why, Mrs. Malarkey, what has happened? Enough, dearie, Mrs. Malarkey waved an eloquent hand toward the rear of the buckboard, and slowly approaching, the girl saw the huddled figure lying there, swathed in quilts. She drew her breath sharply, and with pallid face, swaying a little, she walked to the rear of the buckboard and stood, holding hard to the rim of a wheel, looking down at Taylor's face with its closed eyes and its ghastly color. She must have screamed, then, for she felt Mrs. Malarkey's arms around her, and she heard the lady's voice saying, don't, dearie, he ain't dead yet, and he won't die. We won't let him die. She stood there by the buckboard for a time, until Mrs. Malarkey, running to one of the outbuildings, returned with Bud Hemingway. Then, nerved to the ordeal by Bud's businesslike methods and the awful profanity that gushed from his clenched teeth, 
she helped them carry Taylor into the house. They took Taylor into his own room and laid him on the bed, a long, limp figure, pitifully shattered, lying very white and still. The girl stayed in the room while Mrs. Malarkey and Bud ran hither and thither, getting water, cloths, stimulants, and other indispensable articles. And during one of their absences, the girl knelt beside the bed, resting her head close to Taylor's. With her hands stroking his blackened face, she whispered, Oh, Lord, save him. Save him for... for me. End of chapter 21